0: you've never heard that song, it's because you've never heard it, (laughs) amen, Wheaton College as I understand it, discovered in their archives a lot of songs written by Fanny Crosby that had never been recorded and that was one of them that they just recorded just in the last few months, they published that and uh, I heard it and I said, Ben, can we sing this when we're talking about Jesus, I love that song and uh, so they did a beautiful job I was, I was blessed when I came two surprises this morning when I came to church one was that at the 8.30 they were going to throw me a t-shirt and make, it put on, make me put it on over top of my uh, my other shirt and I had a t-shirt under my dress shirt so I preached in the first service with three shirts and a suit coat <laughs> I've never preached 12 minutes before but it was fun <laughs> unfortunately for you I took the under t-shirt off and I'm good to go for an hour no, uh, so that was one surprise. The other surprise, well, I didn't even realize that song was on the schedule. I knew they were working on it, and when they started singing, I'm like, hallelujah, I love that. Oh, cling to Jesus, amen. Uh, we are excited about three services, and we're and, uh, looking forward to uh, what God has in store. I want to say something real quick. Is Alma Obenchain here? There she is. Alma, it's good to see you this morning. I'm in a group of uh, men, and one precious lady who represents the Holy Spirit amongst us men. Uh, in that group on Fridays, a Bible study, and Alma's in that group, and it's, a, it's an awesome time working and leading people to Jesus, and uh, it's just a blessing to have her, but she asked me to make an announcement this morning, and I'm going to do it, because when someone of her elk and stature, and as close as she is to Jesus, I'm going to make this announcement, and uh, Alma's a blessing. Uh, what she wants me to say is, the YMCA of Manita on Rucker Road closed. How many of you knew that? Well, they've reopened under Manita Athletic Club. And they're looking for some subscribers. And I think she said they had 115 and they needed 200. And I told her I would say that. And I want all of you to go out today and sign up for the Manita Athletic Club. Some of you look like you could use a little workout. So anyways. <laughs> that was totally free. She didn't tell me to say that part. She's far too sweet for something like that. Man, we've been having a great time on Wednesday night. Pat, this past week, Pastor Daryl Krem spoke. If you weren't here this past Wednesday night, I just, only I can say is nanny, nanny, boo, boo. I'm sorry. It was, it was awesome. He gave us a great word. Looking forward to the next few weeks that go through the end of June. There's a different speaker each Wednesday night and uh, some of the people in our church and And looking forward to hearing what God has in store for that. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're trying to understand and know and learn more about Jesus. Because the more you know about him, the more reason you have to love him and serve him and honor him. We took a little break from that last week to glorify and honor uh, the godly women in our church. And uh, I want to go back to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're going to focus in on verse number 4. It is Pentecost Sunday. And... uh, uh, It was interesting as I had this verse for this Sunday a few weeks ago and then got this week and realized how beautiful God had ordained it for it to be Pentecost Sunday in this verse. Hopefully you will understand it before uh, we're done this morning. Uh, Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' wonderful sermon, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. He said, It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, which we'll focus on this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As we said a couple of weeks ago, if there had been Twitter in the day that Jesus was alive, the disciples would have been tweeting up a storm during this sermon, right? Blessed are the meek, for they should. Boy, that was good, Peter. Did you tweet that? I'll just share that off of your account. They would have been tweeting up a storm if they would have been, had Twitter in that day. Unfortunately, the Beatitudes, as someone said, have become known as nothing more than platitudes. And in reality, to understand what Jesus was saying, This person said that the Beatitudes are not platitudes, they're actually bombshells to the worldview that was going on in that day. Let me lay down a couple thoughts here about the Beatitudes by way of uh, reflection just for a moment to bring us back up to speed. It's important to know what Jesus means when he said blessed, blessed, blessed are you, blessed. He says it over and over and over again in these verses. Some translations translate that happy and that's not totally wrong, but I think it's incomplete. The word blessed in this, uh, the term blessed in this context is, is, is I think, best defined as the joy and contentment that comes from living under the full favor of God. It is true happiness. It is true happiness. It It is the blessing and contentment to know that in spite of my circumstances, I'm living in the full favor of God. The Beatitudes, it's important to know, are a connected chain. They are not isolated characteristics. We have a, we have a, a smorgasbord. Uh, our Western way of thinking is a little bit like smorgas is accustomed to smorgasbord. So you pick and choose what you want. And I guess that's the way the world is going in, in a lot of ways. In television, you just sort of pick and choose, and it's on demand. But I got news for you. The fruit of the Spirit and the Beatitudes are not pick and choose. It's not a smorgasbord. As a matter of fact, the Beatitudes are a connected chain, not individual isolated characteristics that you get to say, you know what, I think I would like to be a little more meek, so I think I'll choose that one. And you can have the poor one. I don't care if you have that one at all. You can just take that one all by yourself. You enter the Beatitudes at the front door. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the front door. And the Beatitudes, as someone said, they say if you want to experience the fullness of all that God is and has for you, you approach Him with the realization of the poverty of your own spirit. That's the front door. This realization produces within each person a mourning over their own spiritual condition. When you go and you realize how poor you are before God and how desperate you are for God, it creates in you a mourning over your own spiritual condition. This condition of mourning over one spiritual condition produces meekness or openness or a sense of saying, I need to learn. In turn, this meekness produces a hunger and thirst for righteousness. At this stage, the person becomes a testimony of the mercy of God which produces a purity in their heart from which they actually see and experience God. Those who are at peace with God bring the message of God's peace. As a result of this mature life in Christ, a person then can expect it to be persecuted. And there's the chain. So you don't just... It it wouldn't be fair for us... When we if we want to teach the Beatitudes on Sundays, to just sort of isolate each one and pull it out and say, let's talk about what it means to mourn or what it means to be meek. You need to see them in the context of the whole to fully grasp them. As I said a couple weeks ago, the first and the last Beatitudes sort of have the same assurance. It starts out, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It ends by saying, Blessed are the persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom of God. And in between the first and the last are six uh, beatitudes that come with a promise associated with each beatitude. And the one that we're focusing on this morning is Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. In each of these beatitudes, Jesus seems to add value to things that the world despises. I'm guessing that if you were to take out, if we were all to be honest and if we have it in some form or fashion and you were to take it out and I were to take mine out and my list of my goals and aspirations in life, on that list, would not, you would not find, I have a goal to be poor as Job's turkey. I have a goal to be meek and mild. Well, that might be somebody's goal. I have a goal to be hungry And thirsty. Hopefully our goal is to be pure. But I have a goal to be not ruling but ruled. And I really have a long-term strategic goal to be persecuted. That's just not the way we think. And there's probably nothing more that we try to avoid and nothing that would be less on our list than this idea of mourning. And yet Jesus tells us that the poor, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and yes, even those who mourn are the ones who are living under the full favor of God. The ones that experience joy and contentment of knowing that God's hand of blessing... And isn't that just reverse to the way the world views? The world says if you're, if you're living, if you're rich and you're powerful and you're strong and you're mighty and you're conquering, then some divine hand of favor must really be upon you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those which do hunger and thirst. In this new way, Jesus is telling us that the way of the kingdom of God, different than the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews, is is introducing a way of living that is totally different, but it offers a glimmer of hope amidst the most despised characteristics in the world. You see, the world finds true happiness in the shallow, emotional, circumstantial environment. If you're rich, you're happy. If you're healthy, you're happy. If you're powerful, you're happy. If you have great possessions, you're happy. If all things are good in your life and you're not weeping, you're happy. And yet Jesus is telling us in these verses that in the kingdom of God and through the power of the gospel, joy and contentment and true happiness are much deeper than the temporal necessities of life. And I don't know about you, but that ought to encourage somebody this morning. That real happiness is not determined on my The way the world views my success or failure in this life. Jesus is turning this economy. The kingdom of God turns the world's economy upside down. What Jesus proved through his teaching, his life and his death, is that the believer through Christ ultimately conquers the worst life has to offer. That is really, really, really. Somebody needs to just think about that for a minute this morning. Amen? Anybody here have a bad day? Anybody here got a broken family? Anybody here buried a loved one? Anybody here got a past that is a mountain of sin? Anybody got here, as a man that I sat with this week, said the things from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s in my life haunt me every night? Anybody like that? I have really good news. Blessed are those who mourn. Because Jesus says the followers, his followers, the members of the kingdom of God, live according to a different economy. What does Jesus mean when he says mourn? What does the word mourn mean? It's a simple word that includes simply two two facets to its meaning. The word mourn, mourning, means the grief over a loss, death, relationship, something precious, grief over poverty. It is It is. It is the grief over a loss. And the second thing that is very important to the term mourning is that it is manifest grief. It's, It's grief so serious that it comes out. It is so severe that it takes possession of a person and cannot be hid. Dr. Alan Wolfelt said, grief is what you think and feel on the inside and mourning is when you express that grief on the outside of yourself. Mourning is grief inside out. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Every person in this room and and we think of mourning as tears only, but I'm I'm certain that and we all know that mourning expresses itself in lots of ways other than tears. And, and if you've lost a loved one or if you're dealing with a sickness or you have brokenness in your family, you understand what it means to mourn. And those people close to you know what mourning is. And Jesus is talking about it in this passage this morning. Let's just talk about this matter for a moment. Let me mention a couple things that I think are important to us. Number one, notice that in this world, mourning is inevitable. In this world, mourning is inevitable. Grief touches young and old, rich and poor, male and female. No one is exempt. Everybody grieves because everybody, at some point, experiences loss, and the and the case of that loss causes our grief to come on the outside of our life. Everybody does. This this uh, uh, John Kessler said that he said everybody grieves because everybody, at some point, experiences loss. Aren't you glad that Jesus recognizes the obvious and the inevitable? Mourning is a part of the broken world in which we live in. You know what? If your philosophy, if your way of living, and if your religion says that mourning and grieving are all figment of your imagination, they don't really exist, and evil's not really there, I want to tell you something. You need to get a new philosophy. You need to get a new religion. One of the things I love about the scripture, I love about the word of God, and I love about Jesus Christ, he doesn't beat around the bush, he doesn't deny reality, he simply says, in this world, you will have trouble, John chapter 16, and verse 33. He doesn't say, hey guys, it's going to be okay, I'm going back to heaven, but you'll be fine, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, he's really powerful, and he'll take care of you, it's going to be amazing, you're going to do some awesome things, you're going to raise people up that are crippled, see ya. No, Jesus says, guys, I'm leaving. When I leave, in this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't deny the obvious or the inevitable. Pastors know that mourning is inevitable. Laymen know that mourning is inevitable. You know that mourning is inevitable. And if we, one of the problems with, with, with Western Christianity is that we've somehow decided that spirituality and, and deep Christianity removes us from mourning. I don't know where they got that. They're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. You know it, and I know it. I was thinking about that this week, and in sort of an interesting reverse circumstance, I've stood at the head of the casket in the north. The way they do funerals, they leave the the casket open throughout the whole service, and at the end of the service, they start at the back, and people file past the casket, shake hands with the family one last time, and then when everybody's out, the family views the casket, views the body, at the very end. And I stood there at a funeral on one occasion and a 51-year-old lady lay in that casket and her six-foot-five, 15-year-old son. I thought he was going to knock the casket off its stand as he was grieving over a single mom, an only child. And here he was saying goodbye. And he wasn't just grieving, he was mourning. His grief was coming out. It was all we could do to hold him and just assure him and love him and try to bring him comfort in that moment. It wasn't but just a few years later, I stood in the very same spot at the head of a casket and a mom and a dad came up at the end of that when everybody was dismissed and it was just their final farewells and I thought that mother was going to climb in that casket with her 13-year-old son who had been run over that week. I know mourning exists. You know mourning exists. I performed a funeral of a dear, precious couple. I married this couple. They were, they were married in their early 30s. I, married, I performed their wedding ceremony. I led him to the Lord, led her to the Lord. They were in our church. He was in church on a Sunday morning and experienced a tragic death on Sunday night. And we couldn't start the funeral because of that precious wife And the tragedy was so severe they couldn't open the casket. And she was nearly laying on top of it as we were trying to start this service. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying what Jesus said and what you already know. That in the world in which we live, mourning is inevitable. We all suffer. We live in a world described by Paul. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Friend, if your philosophy or way of life or your religion tells you to escape it, somehow deny it or or believe it doesn't exist, you are denying reality and therefore you will never be able to deal with it when it inevitably comes. Mourning is inevitable. Let me say this secondly. With God, mourning is meaningful. This is one of those verses that we pluck out of the scripture. And everybody likes, everybody likes the Beatitudes because they're, they're usually in our favor when we're going through that process. And we say, well, praise God, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I'm going to say a little bit more about this in just a minute, but let me just say this. This verse isn't for everyone. You see, there are those who mourn and will not be comforted. There are those who don't mourn for a period, but someday they will mourn. But Christ is giving us this perspective, the premise of the teaching of Jesus is that somehow if you will trust him and you will receive the gospel and you will be brought into the kingdom of God, God will make good out of things that the world despises. God turns, as I said, the world economy on its head. All throughout his ministry, Jesus says, to be great, you must be weak. To win, you must lose. To gain, you must surrender. To live, you must die. And here it appears in this verse that he's saying that is, there is either some mourning that results in something good. And if there is, I want, to mourn, I want to figure out what that is and have that mourning affect me. Or mourning for some people results in, a, results in a blessing. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying. He is saying there is some mourning and there are some people that in the midst of the mourning, it results in a blessing. Are you glad this morning that God is capable of taking your mourning and turning it into dancing? Isn't that good to know? The primary meaning of this passage of Scripture is very simply this. I mentioned in the early parts of the sermon, and that is that the mourning that is associated with Matthew chapter 4 is the person who comes by the grace of God to an awareness of their own sin and their own deficiency and their own need of God, and it strikes them with, oh my goodness, I need help. I got really good news. If you mourn over sin, the Bible says you will be comforted if you come to Christ and mourning over your sin. But we mourn over sin. The Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said, it's not so much the weeping eye God respects as the broken heart. What we try so desperately to avoid in this life is often the doorway that God has provided as an escape. Don't run from your mourning over sin. Embrace it and you will be set free. If this, morning, if this morning your heart is smitten or this time of your life your heart is smitten by the sins, as the brother told me this week, as, as he's not a believer, he said I, my sins from the 60s and 70s and 80s keep me awake at night. If your heart is mourning over this, I'll tell you what I told him. You need to thank God That he is creating an awareness within you that you need him. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over their sin. For they will be comforted. Isn't that good news? God, God has a meaning and a purpose. We mourn over sin and we mourn over suffering. We mourn over sorrow in this world. We mourn over sickness and pain. We mourn over separation. We find ourselves grieving alone. But Christ offers this beautiful promise in verse 4 that there is a blessing from God for those who trust in Him in the midst of the inevitable suffering that this world will produce in their life. If they will trust in Him, He will add meaning to their mourning. Look at these verses just very quickly. The meaning of mourning in our life. Number one, it identifies us with Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Mourning produces growth in us. Romans 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Mourning creates in us a desire for heaven. He said, I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul said, I am suffering, but I'm just beginning to think that what I'm going to receive in glory is that what I'm suffering now doesn't even compare to the goodness and the glory that God is preparing for me. God uses it with a purpose. Mourning helps us lean on Jesus in 2 Corinthians. He said, I don't want you to be unaware of my affliction that I experienced in Asia. For we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. You know what that means? That means the Apostle Paul said, this is such a bad day. I wish I would, the Lord would just take me on to heaven. And this is what he said. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but rely on God. If your mourning causes you to rely on God, then you need to thank God that he's added meaning to your mourning mourning enables us to help others. Praise be to God, Paul says, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Did you know that if you'll surrender your suffering and your mourning, God can sanctify it and bless it And he can use it by his grace so that you can be a blessing to somebody else who's going through that. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad that God doesn't waste it and leave us to despair on our own? He says, no, I'm sorry you live in a sinful and broken world. But I want to tell you, child, if you will trust in me, you're going to learn something that's totally different than the world. Blessed are those who mourn and trust in me for they will be comforted. And mourning brings glory to God. Paul said, or Peter said in First Peter, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. God has meaning. God has meaning for your mourning. I have to close with this. Let's get out of here on a good note. All right. For the believer, mourning is survivable. Amen? You're going to make it. You're going to make it. There's two reasons why mourning is survivable and they're they're so powerful that I could have spent the whole morning here but I'm just going to use it as a big cherry on the top, okay? Two reasons why why your mourning as a believer, you're going to make it, you're going to come out victorious. Number one, because your mourning will be accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus said those believers who mourn over sin and mourn through the difficulties of life, he was going to send someone who would dwell in them and walk with them, and you would not be alone, and you would never face all of this by yourself, in spite of the fact that C.S. Lewis said, in, in, in interesting, an interesting interesting." C.S. Lewis wrote many books, but two books he wrote, one called The Problem of Pain, which is a really great book and perspective on pain, but but in the observation of that book compared to the book he wrote over his wife's death, something called Grief Observed, I believe was the name of the book, and the difference between those two books was in The Problem of Pain, he said, God speaks to us in this, and he whispers to us in that, but he shouts to us in our suffering, and maybe you you may remember that quote. But in his book, Grief Observed, he said, it seems like part of the suffering is the silence of God. And it's in the darkness and the deep darkness of our suffering that we sense that we're all alone. But I've got good news for you. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then in John chapter 14 and verse 26, he used the same word when he said, I'm going to send to you a comforter. The same word that he uses here. It's just the noun version in John's gospel. And today is Pentecost Sunday. And since that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the life of the believer, no follower of Jesus has ever had to face anything by themselves. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will have the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit living in them, walking with them, and aiding them through the deep, dark valleys of life. Somebody ought to say, "Man, that'll make a Presbyterian shout right there!" Amen. Amen. It may feel—C.S. Lewis said it may feel like—I think the quote he said was something like, "It seems that when you when things are going great and you call upon the Lord, He's right there, and then when things are dark, you cry out to God and the." door slams in your face in spite of what it feels like the holy spirit of god never leaves you or forsakes you in the midst of your mourning you can make it you're going to make it because the holy spirit is accompanying you for the morning believer for the believer rather mourning is doable because you're not alone and finally mourning is doable and survivable because it's temporary it's temporary It's temporary. As I said a moment ago, this is not a blanket and universal statement. This Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 bumper sticker doesn't go on everybody's car. It doesn't. You must be a child of God. You must be a believer in Jesus Christ. You can't just say, something bad happened to me today, and the Bible says, or I heard some parable somewhere that said, blessed are those that mourn, for they should be comforted. So, well, boom, I had a bad day today, but that means I'm going to be comforted tomorrow. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means if you're a child of God, it's only temporary. If you're not a child of God, it's permanent. Amen? David said, why do the wicked prosper, Lord? Here I am working for you, doing the best I can as a king in this country, trying to live right, follow the Ten Commandments. And that dude is chasing me, trying to chop my head off. He's living like a king. And God said, you know what? The the prosperity of the wicked lasts for a day. But the blessing of the righteous lasts forever. Amen. Blessed are they, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not forever. And then in Revelation chapter 21 he says there's coming a day where he will wipe away every tear from their, eye, from their eyes. Whose eyes? Those who trusted in him. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You might be mourning this, mor- this morning. You might be suffering you might be facing things that scare you half to death. C.S. Lewis said, it's amazing how much grief feels like fear. You might be facing it that's scary. Can I give you a word on this Pentecost Sunday? Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Whatever happens in this life, trust in Jesus. And this is your promise. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You have the Holy Spirit now, and you have heaven later. (laughs) And the songwriter said, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. Amen? You have the Holy Spirit now, and you have heaven later. Trust in Jesus. In the midst of your dark, trust in Him. Blessed, this is the word of the Lord, blessed are those who are, for they will be comforted. I wonder this morning on this Pentecost Sunday, if we could just sing this little chorus asking the Holy Spirit to work in us afresh and anew in whatever situations that maybe we're suffering and mourning through this, this day. Whatever situation. Say, Lord, Holy Spirit, I need you. Comforter. Comforter. I need you. I need you. Would you just, would you comfort me today? Would you do that as we stand? Let's sing this chorus. Make it a prayer. Holy Spirit, Work. Fresh in me for more information about Eastlake Community Church please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML thanks for joining us